Welcome back to the Durst Show. Half the country seems to think that uh, Roe versus Wade um, was properly overruled. Half the country seems to think that it, Roe versus Wade was correct and shouldn't have been overruled. Um, I have a different point of view. What I'm going to argue is that the decision whether to overrule Roe versus Wade was improperly made, uh, that the Supreme Court acted unconstitutionally in even deciding the issue of whether Roe versus Wade uh, is constitutional or unconstitutional. It may sound a little technical, but to the heart of our Constitution. The Constitution limits the judicial power to cases and controversies. And those of you who are conservatives out there have said that for years. You're against judicial activism. You're in favor of judicial restraint. You don't want activist judges. You don't want judges to make decisions that aren't necessary. Well, this decision was not necessary. The only issue properly before the court, the issue on which certiorari was granted, review was granted, was whether Mississippi's 15-week ban, that is 15 weeks you couldn't get an abortion in Mississippi, whether that's constitutional or unconstitutional. As Chief Justice Roberts said, that's all the court had to decide. Yes, after the certiorari was granted, Mississippi changed its tune and engaged basically in, in, in what uh, Chief Justice Roberts called them a tactic or, or a gambit. Oh, no, we've changed our mind now. Now we want you to overrule Roe versus Wade. But it was absolutely unnecessary. It was as if the day Barrett, Justice Barrett, got confirmed and they started counting noses and they said, ah, we have five to overrule Roe versus Wade. It's as if they held a press conference. Five justices of the Supreme Court got out in front of the Supreme Court and said, we now have enough votes to overrule Roe versus Wade, so we hereby overrule Roe versus Wade. Question from one of the reporters. But there's no case in front of you. Oh, no, no, no. That doesn't matter. Roe versus Wade was wrong when it was decided back in 1973. There are five of us now who believe it was wrong. Therefore, we are overruling Roe versus Wade, even though there's no case us to do so. That's essentially what the, yes, Mississippi asked them to do so, but that was unnecessary. All, all Mississippi had the right to ask them to do, and all they asked them to do when they sought review was to hold its statute. Mississippi didn't ban Mississippi said we permit abortions at seven weeks, 12, 14 weeks. So that issue was not before the Supreme Court. How many of you who are watching this podcast call yourselves conservatives who support judicial restraint and who are opposed to judicial activism. Why are you not speaking out against this decision? Why are you remaining silent? Is this judicial activists no good when they do it, but it's good when we do it? That's what it's like. Conservatives quoting this decision, men not all, but I've heard no one take the view that I've taken. I'm not even arguing now whether Roe versus Wade should have been overruled or shouldn't have been overruled. I myself have complex feelings about it. I didn't like Roe versus Wade when it was first decided. I wrote articles about it. I wrote a book chapter about it, but I don't think 50-year-old opinion should be overruled unless there's been a major change of circumstances, not a change in the Supreme Court. So I'm a mild supporter of not ruling Roe uh, versus Wade, but that's not what concerns me today. What concerns me today is the OV. The of power in court to simply announcement 
preferences. We don't like Roe versus Wade, wrongly decided. So we're going to file a 100 page in saying overruling Roe versus Wade, even though the issue wasn't proper uh, before. You should be complaining about this because today it's Roe versus tomorrow it could be hell. If the Supreme Court changes its personnel, you're going to get five justices who say, no, there's no right to bear arms in the country. Is that the need for state militias? Uh, is essential. Uh, yeah, militias can have guns. We're not going to take them away from the militia. Uh, what would you do if there were five justices who were ready to take away the right to bear arms uh, from the Constitution? And they just announced it in a case involved not people's guns, but maybe restrict them in some ways. And so, not have to fetish, but be judged out and decided to decide that case. That's what's wrong with this decision. With What's wrong with necessarily which side it came down on, but it in any sense at all. The majority, what, what are you doing about Mrs. Roberts? Eventually, anyway, even if we didn't rule Roe versus today, now, five years now, who knows? Who knows? Who knows if states would have passed statutes um, completely abolishing the right of abortion? Some have, but uh, the proper course is to wait until such a case comes before the Supreme Court, where you have no choice but to decide whether to overrule Roe versus Wade. If there's a state statute that says that life begins at conception and the moment the zygote, I don't know the biology, you know the biology, the moment that conception occurs, um, there is no right of abortion. You can't take a morning after pill. You can't have an abortion on the second day of your pregnancy. Uh, if, 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 if a state were to render such uh, legislation, and now some have, trigger, and other kinds of uh, legislation, then bring the case to the Supreme Court. There's plenty of time to, to do that. But deciding the case now on, on a relatively incomplete record uh, where these issues were not really fundamentally uh, uh, litigated uh, in the courts below, et cetera, um, again, is just, just judicial activism. It's the kind of thing that conservatives rail against. It's one of the few things I thought me and conservatives had in, in common. I've always believed in judicial restraint. I have never believed in judicial activism, even when I was a law clerk, clerking for a judge who believed in judicial activism. I always had my own views, which were not supportive of those um, of those uh, views. Even in law school, um, I uh, didn't get a clerkship with uh, Justice Black, although eventually he offered me one, but I didn't get a clerkship the year I applied for it because one of the professors said that I was a supporter of Professor Alex Bickle, who had written a book called The Least Dangerous Branch and who was the leading advocate in the country of judicial restraint and against judicial activism. He was a, a big admirer of Justice Brandeis and Justice Frankfurter. He had clerked for Justice Frankfurter. And uh, I was his, basically, I followed him. And uh, so I've been in favor of judicial restraint since, what, maybe 1959 or 1960, before many of you were born. So I haven't changed uh, my tune. And I always supported uh, the Federalist Society's views on this issue, conservative views on this issue. Now I'm waiting to hear from you. Now support me on this issue. Tell me I'm right. Tell the public 
I'm right. Write me letters telling me I'm right instead of writing me the letters that you you always uh, write properly criticizing me. I don't I have nothing against that. That's your job to criticize me. And it's my job to answer you. But the idea that the Supreme Court should reach out to decide whether to overrule Roe versus Wade before it was required to do so is they do it only because they can. They do it only because they have the votes. And I have to tell you, one of those votes was obtained improperly. Um, the Supreme Court should have had Merrick Garland on it. You may not like Merrick Garland as attorney general. It's not the issue. The issue was he was properly nominated by President uh, Obama, and he was improperly denied a hearing or vote by the Republican-controlled Senate. That was improper. You know, I've always taken the view that Obama failed us in that regard. What I believe he should have done, and I don't think anybody agrees with me on this except some of my friends and family, um, Obama should have simply nominated him and put him on the Supreme Court and got him a robe, brought him up to the Supreme Court, sat him in the chair, had him take the oath of office and let somebody sue. And I think the constitutional right answer is the Senate has a right to turn down an applicant, but they have no right not to act on an applicant. The Senate has a constitutional obligation to either affirm or deny, to advise and consent or not consent, but they have no right to block a nomination by simply refusing a hearing or a vote. I don't know whether that view would have prevailed, but I think it was the right view, and I think President Obama should have taken that uh, view and 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 played hardball with the Republicans who were playing hardball. And remember the incredible hypocrisy of the Republicans. Like, oh, you shouldn't ever nominate a Supreme Court justice nine months before the election in an election year. What a terrible thing to do, except if your name is President Trump and you're nominating Barrett eight weeks before the election. Then, whoops, we forgot about it. Oop. Remember Roseanne, Rosanna Dan, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, we didn't mean it. Uh, yeah, you can nominate a person the day before the election. It doesn't matter. Principle be damned. Uh, integrity be damned. Consistency be damned. Hypocrisy be adopted. Yeah, we're Republicans. We can. We can do it. And we did it because we can. That's how they got five person uh, majority. Um, so... <laughs> A lot of propriety going on here, improperly getting the five properly during a decision they didn't have to like the decision. So prepare to further and forget proprieties that I'm I would not be willing to forgive him for it, even if it was a decision that my side. I believe in even due process. I believe in the constitution. I believe one rule for all. I believe shoot the foot test. You know that. I believe consistency. I hate it. Whether it's practiced by my 14. I don't like the January 6th committee because they're hypocrites. Uh, and they don't allow dissent. They don't decide to be granted. And if you like me for that, uh, I oppose the Supreme Court rendering a decision you like. Uh, but, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's contagious. Maybe. Okay. By the way, I have a new book out, uh, um, which is based on all um, Yeah, but I just got the first three. It's Price of and Water is Consequences. It's all about hypocrisy.
back, if you try to stick to people's side on this show, you both sides. Conservatives support this decision and other decisions, and because I voted for uh, um, President uh, uh, a candidate, and um, up in here, one of my hosts today, Durst the douche admits he voted for both Biden and Clinton in 2020 and 2016. No credibility. In other words, 80 million people in America who voted for Biden and however many voted for Clinton have no credibility. That's not what makes America great. What makes America great is listening to both sides of all issues and deciding how you should vote. Hey, you voted for Trump. Fine. God bless you. Uh, I didn't. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't deny me credibility. I'm in the majority. You're in the minority. The election was fair. You don't like it. You think the election was unfair. If the very same election, you know, elected your candidate, you'd think it was fair. And there'd be some of the Democrat side who think it would be unfair. I'm not here condemning Republicans or Democrats. I'm condemning both. You're all a bunch of hypocrites out there when you don't apply principle, when you don't stick to principles, when you don't stick to consistency, when you say judicial restraint for me, but not for thee, judicial activism for me, but not for thee. No, that's not that what the way America works. America is based on constitutional principles. Free speech shall not be abridged. Doesn't matter who it is who's speaking. You can't have free speech for me, but not for thee. You can't have free speech for the right, but not for the left. You can't have due process for the right, but not for the left. But that's where we're going. That's where we're moving to. We're moving to, if, if you're part of our team, if you're part of our tribe, if you're part of our group, you get due process, free speech. You get nice letters written about you. But if you voted for the other team, the other tribe, you have no credibility. You're Dersh the douche. You know, that's not the America I was brought up in. The America I was brought up in was an America in which we tolerate each other. I, my wife's birthday was this week, and we went to a wonderful birthday dinner. And it had about 10 people at the birthday dinner. I think there were 10 points of view uh, at that dinner. There were some pretty left Democrats. Uh, there were some moderate Democrats. There were some. It was one extremely right-wing religious Christian Democrat. Uh, we had a great dinner. All we disagreed about really was white wine or red wine. Uh, but we agreed that we should discuss. We disagreed about Trump. We disagreed about Biden. We disagreed about Roe versus Wade. We disagreed about so many things, but we weren't disagreeable. Um, I, I could not have that dinner today in parts of Martha's Vineyard because people have taken the opposite view. I defended the Constitution on behalf of President Trump, so they won't have dinner with me. So I have no credibility. I voted for Clinton and Biden, so I have no credibility. Um, you know, I'm equally hated by the extreme right and the extreme left, and I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of my enemies. I'm so proud of the hate mail that I get from you jerks out there who uh, don't understand uh, what America is all about and what George Washington meant when he said, of bigotry we will not tolerate, of tolerance we will speak no longer everybody has the right to sit under their fig tree as long as they're good Americans and as long as they support our country. Uh, that's the tradition uh, I live by. That's the America I want to live in. And I don't want to see non-elected judges, non-elected nine judges. I don't care whether they're Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals. I don't want them to be making 
decisions that are unnecessary to resolve a particular case. Marbury versus Madison, uh, the leading Supreme Court decision on judicial review, basically the Supreme Court said, we have no choice. We have no choice. We have to decide whether this is constitutional or not. The case depends on it. That wasn't true of the Dobbs case. The case didn't depend on it. Justice Roberts, Chief Justice, was right. You could easily have written a 10-page opinion, not hundreds of pages, five-page opinion, in which we say, look, things have changed scientifically. We get the heartbeat earlier. There's more viability at an earlier stage. We're going to decide that uh, the state has the right to ban abortions after 15 weeks. That's what it is in much of Europe. That's what it is in many states. Seems uh, constitutional to us. And so we're going to decide that. We don't have to decide whether Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional. Let's wait for a case. Let's see what it says. Let's see whether it bans the morning after pill. Let's see whether it bans it only after four weeks or six weeks. Let it be fact specific. Let it not be a public announcement from a press conference, which is what this is. And so, look, I don't agree with Congresswoman Waters where she idiotically says, let's ignore the decision. No, we can't ignore the decision. We live under the rule of law. But this is a decision that would never have been made by a court that believed in judicial uh, restraint. This is not a decision that will go down in history as one that was proper. My belief is that the decision itself, the decision to decide Roe versus Wade in this case was itself unconstitutional and a violation of our system of checks and balances and our restriction on the judiciary, actual cases and controversies. So that's today. Tomorrow, I'll be talking about some other cases. I'll be talking about whether or not coaches should be allowed to say uh, prayers in the middle of the football field um, after a game. And, and we'll talk days to come as well about whether or not our country is moving away from separation of church and state and moving much more toward uh, a nation that seems to be merging issues of religion, issues of governance. We'll hear about that, and I'm sure we'll have very strong points of view addressed to me by you in the letters. So let's get to some of these letters. This is a thoughtful one. I don't agree with it, but it's a thoughtful one. What is the extent of my obligation on Professor Dershowitz's plea for tolerance? Remember, I talked about being tolerant to transgender people, being tolerant about people who disagree with you. As far as I'm concerned, I must only abide by the non-aggression axiom. More specifically, I must not use force to either coerce or otherwise peaceable human beings to do something they freely choose not to do, or use force to prevent the same peaceable person from engaging in any activity they voluntarily choose to participate in. If I have met my responsibility to refrain from initiating violence, I have filled my tolerance quotient. Neither Professor Durr nor anyone else can compel me anything further. I don't disagree with that. I don't agree that I can't compel you to do anything further, but I can advise you to do something further. I can advise you. I can urge you. I can make moral arguments that maybe will persuade you, if you have an open mind, that do not engage in bigotry towards transgender people. They are discriminated against today. Many of them have had difficult times with their transitions. Um, we should be sympathetic. We should be uh, tolerant. I don't like the word tolerance myself because uh, it, it connotes, as Washington said in his letter to the Newport Synagogue of Tolerance, we will 
no longer talk. It connotes that one group tolerates, suffers the other. I think in America, all Americans are equal. Transgender people are exactly equal to people who are uh, living a life uh, with the gender into which they were born. But I'm, I'm not going to coerce you into changing your views. I'm going to vote for laws that don't permit you to discriminate. Um, you know, if you want to be a bigot, uh, go ahead. I will condemn you for it. Uh, I will oppose you, and I'm not going to compel you. I'm not going to, uh, yeah, use that word, main, compel me to do anything further. That's Mill's principle, John Stuart Mill, uh, that the government has the right to compel you only when it would harm others. Um, I think I do, and here you're going to disagree with me. In the right circumstance, I'm not suggesting it is the right circumstance now, but in the right circumstance, I might uh, be willing to compel you to have a vaccination that to prevent the spread of a uh, uh, very contagious and very deadly disease. And I have an interesting source for that. In fact, I own that interesting source. I recently bought a letter. I collect um, American um, uh, letters from famous and people who helped found the country. I just bought a letter uh, written by General George Washington to his young 22-year-old secretary. You may have heard of his young 22-year-old secretary. His name was Alexander something. Yeah, Hamilton, that's who it was. So Jefferson, I'm sorry, Washington dictates a, a three-page letter to his 22-year-old assistant who has a really good handwriting. And uh, the letter is to the generals. And he says the most important thing, the most important thing, the number one priority, get your soldiers inoculated against smallpox. Make them take the vaccine. It wasn't called a vaccine then, it was called inoculation. Make them do it. In another letter, he says, we are more likely to lose the revolution to smallpox than to the British if our soldiers are not inoculated, are not vaccinated. So there's a pretty strong precedent for compelling at least some people. These are soldiers. Remember who the soldiers were. They were just regular guys and uh, guys, they weren't women, uh, who went home at night to their families. They were members of the militia. They were civilians. We had a civilian army and they were compelled to be inoculated. Uh, I don't remember hearing about anybody complaining about it. Um, and probably there was some negative effects. Every medicine has some, but catching the disease has more. So, uh, yeah, compulsion, it's an interesting issue. And I I tend to agree more than disagree with what you said, but I want to make sure that we all um, show extreme sensitivity toward people who are discriminated against. I want to get a live question. Yeah, let's get a live question. Sure. Um, Trump's appoint, uh, appointed judges lied under oath in their uh, confirmation hearings about Roe v. Wade. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, you know, when you get some of these judges, some of these judges I know and I actually like them, um, did say they'd be bound by judicial restraint, they'd be bound by stare decisis, and suggested strongly they wouldn't overrule Roe versus Wade. I, I don't think they lied. I think they changed their minds. Um, um, you know, Justice Thomas once said he had never thought about Roe versus Wade when he was confirmed. This is many, many, many years ago. But, um, you know, you have the right to conclude that maybe some of them had their fingers crossed behind their back or were, or were fibbing a little bit. Uh, I don't like the fact that uh, I mean, some of the senators have said it. This, these guys told us they would not rule 
they would not overrule Roe versus Wade. They certainly would have all said, every one of them under oath would have said, we would never overrule Roe versus Wade unless it was absolutely necessary in order to come to a decision. In a particular case, none of them would have said, we'll reach out and decide Roe versus Wade in a case in which the issue wasn't squarely presented. Not a single one of them would say that, but they did it. Uh, five of them did it, and shame on them. I don't think they they should have uh, done that. A lot of my letters condemn me for calling for sympathy for transgender people. And one of the reasons I call for sympathy for transgender people is because they're so prejudiced against, they're so discriminated, and my letters prove that. I got at least 100 letters, bigoted letters. If you said the same thing about African-Americans or, or, or Jews or Muslims, uh, you'd be rightfully accused. But um, I think you're rightfully accused of bigotry if you say it against a transgender people. There is no such thing as a transgender woman. There is no such thing as transgender. Yes, there is. If a person says they're transgender, they're transgender. I'm giving litmus tests. I believe people, they have the right to choose their gender, how they live their life, and I'm prepared to support them. Hate to you, sir, but there isn't such a thing as transgender woman. It's just a man in drag, no more, no less. You're proving my point. <clears throat> you know, my views on allowing gender women to compete against uh, people who are born uh, with um, double X chromosomes was very tentative. I said I did it because I don't like the discrimination on the side with the people discriminated against. Letters strengthen my view much more. Um, you a biologist? I thought Forte was long. I'm learning new things every day. Isn't evolution a funny thing? Allegedly. I mean, you know, these are such a, a bigoted and stupid letters. Um, athletes compete with their biological peers. In other words, five foot ten basketball players shouldn't compete with seven foot two basketball players. Of course, in boxing, we do do that. We have weight, um, you know, lightweight, welterweight, middleweight, heavyweight, light heavyweight. We don't have that in basketball. You know, there are some leagues that I used to play in as a kid um, in which we had an over 40 league. We had an under six foot league. You can do that if you want to. But uh, we don't compete against our peers. Uh, you get this uh, great swimmer in line. What's his name again? The guy won all the championship. Phillips. 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 The guy had a wingspan that was basically not you. It was just, you could beat him no matter what. Uh, if you're born like me, uh, you can't compete with a guy like Phelps. Um, is that fair? Uh, I'm not going to complain about it, but the idea that you can't allow competition when anybody has lived their whole life as a woman, I think raises the question. Here are some different view. I love the show. I American history class. I'm confident. A current progressive era of much curiosity to me are the listeners that went down at the time. His legacy evolved more in law. Thanks. Sorry to disappoint you, but the progressive era is not perfect. Um, first, is a decision was reared by Oliver Wendell, supported by Brandeis, progressive justice of the time, uh, and they bought into eugenics and a firm statute 
allowed uh, mentally unfit, and a big definition to be sterile against the will. So they that was called progressive. Center of kind of progressive, which was borrowed Nazi Germany. Just there was Harvard University. Uh, Harvard University's president was a eugenicist and, and a racialist who strongly believed that racial differences determine intelligence and, and all of that. So the progressive era was uh, was a mixed blessing. The same thing which was the suffrage uh, period. Um, some of the suffragettes, not all, obviously, were racists and, and anti-Semites and, and others. They, yes, for women, but no for blacks, no for no for Jews. Uh, talk about a no-brainer. These creatures, talking about human beings, could be sister, it could be your brother. These creatures are deluded or opportunity men, not women. They will never be women. They will always be men. They're in the perfect answer. That's what you say, and that's what you said when there's segregation on on these. The question is, the women's rights groups respect. Oh, why aren't they screaming out when it comes to males, pretending males who are competing with women? It's an interesting question. And uh, the women's groups, they're not united on this. I know feminists that it's certain people who were born not compete against women, don't be taken the opposite point of view. The surprise. There are all kinds of views and ministers, all kinds of Jews among blacks, among Jews, among Muslims, among Republicans, among Democrats. So I welcome a diversity of views. We're going to continue some of these uh, discussions uh, tomorrow in the context of religion, religious prayer, football. So tune in tomorrow.